Welcome to On Olive Oil, hosted by Curtis Cord, the publisher of Olive Oil Times, featuring 30-minute discussions with people throughout the world, sharing their unique perspectives on the ever-changing olive oil landscape. This week's guest is North American Olive Oil Association Executive Director, Aaron Bulch. This won't turn around until the industry works together to promote the basic facts uh, and the benefits that, that we can attribute to all olive oils in the category. Now, from New York City, here's Curtis Cord. Aaron Balch spent five years with Sylvana USA, one of the largest American importers of olive oil, before she joined the Trade Association of Olive Oil Importers, the North American Olive Oil Association, as its executive vice president in 2012. Aaron always has a lot going on. The trade group works on behalf of its members on legislative and regulatory issues, monitors olive oil quality in its testing program, and once in a while calls out brands that don't make the grade. Erin was in the news most recently when her office sued TV's Dr. Oz for what it called his false and careless words that have discouraged millions of people from using a product with scientifically demonstrated advantages. Erin joins us today from upstate New York. Good morning, Erin. Good morning, Curtis. Have you had a lot of snow this week? Uh, we have, actually. <laughs> this year is the, the opposite of last year. We've got a lot of snow already, and I'm sure we'll have a white Christmas. How much did you get? Um, only six or so inches in the recent one. <laughs> uh, you're used to it. We are. <laughs> are you from upstate New York? Yes. Um, I am from Rome, New York. What is that, near Albany or north of Albany? About two hours uh, north of Albany, one hour uh, east of Syracuse, so right right mm. in the middle of the state. Well, I know you stay pretty busy at the, at the association. What do you spend most of your time doing there? To be honest, I picture you huddled with lawyers and PR people writing letters to senators and people at the FDA, but I'm sure you're going to set me straight about that. <laughs> we do do some of that. Um, the NAOA is actually, it's a trade association for sellers and marketers of olive oil in the U.S. and Canada. So one of the things that is different about our association is that we're not linked to any specific country or region or grade of olive oil. Um, we're open to any company that wants to market olive oils in North America and agrees to follow the IOC standards, as well as industry supporters. So in addition to some of the things you just mentioned, we have two primary areas of activity. Uh, one is monitoring the market and testing olive oils uh, and working to enforce the IOC standards. And the other very important area is promoting olive oil consumption. So promoting all olive oil consumption. And who are your members? Um, today, our members represent about 60% of all the olive oil uh, consumed in the U.S., big and small companies, major brands, retail brands, food service brands, private label suppliers, bulk and industrial uh, suppliers. So a, a mix of all of the players in the category um, that are bringing olive oil to U.S. consumers. How many members are there? We have a, about 60 members um, today. So they they are, we have many of the, the big brands in the U.S. are in our membership and also um, a, a good number of small and medium-sized companies where olive oil may be 
one of many specialty food products that they supply to various channels in the U.S.? 60 companies that are responsible for about 180,000 tons of olive yeah. oil. Yeah. How many tests do you conduct during an average year? We do. It, it depends. We have a number of different testing programs. Um, one of the things is that we have worked uh, since the very, very beginning with the International Olive Council. And I'm sure most of your listeners know, you know, the IOC has been around since 1959 when it was chartered by the United Nations. Um, and IOC member countries represent about 95% of all the world olive oil production. But the U.S. is the biggest non-member olive oil import, import market in the world. So the NAOA has always relied on the IOC as the benchmark for olive oil standards, testing, and statistics. And we are, the NAOA is one of the founding signatories to the IOC's Quality Control on Import Markets Agreement. And this is a program that has allowed the NAOA to monitor the market far more than our direct budget ever could for over 25 years now. So the agreement, what it does is it pools funds uh, from all the signatory associations, which may be producers, exporters, importers, consumer associations, and they pool the funds so that the product that are sold in non-member countries like the U.S. can be collected and tested for compliance with the IOC standards. So you get funds for testing from the IOC. They pay the, for the testing for us through this agreement. So the you know the the export and the consumer uh, associations are interested in monitoring the market as well. And over the years, the number of samples that we've been able to send have has increased as the market has grown. In recent years, we're sending between 150 and 200 samples from the U.S. and Canada to the IOC each year for testing. And this program has really been instrumental in allowing us to alert industry members, as well as state and federal authorities about the quality and purity of what's out there for sale to consumers. Why do you test it there? Why don't you test it here? Until a week ago, there were not any independent IOC-recognized laboratories in the U.S. And um, one of the things that is very different in the program is that we always run the full uh, purity and authenticity analysis, um, which which can get expensive. There's a, a lot of labs that are, are very capable to do some of the quality checks and those kind of things. But until recently, as I said, we haven't had any uh, independent IOC labs in the U.S., so we've always sent, sent them overseas to the experienced labs that are in the main producing countries. In addition to that IOC program, we also started a number of years ago our uh, NAOA Quality Seal program, um, which lets brands that are interested in participating, they pay a fee, which helps cover the cost of the testing, to make sure that their brand is picked up at least twice a year. It's kind of like a mystery shopper program. So someone will go out and collect the samples from stores just like consumers would buy them. The, the brands don't know when or where the samples will be picked up, but they're picked up and they're also shipped off to IOC recognized laboratories uh, for the full round of testing. So today we have brands that represent more than a third of the total retail tracked market share are now participating in the SEAL program. Since testing is expensive, and I know it's expensive, has the association ever considered establishing its own in-house lab? We haven't, not to this point. Um, the, the U.S., primarily is is a consuming country. Um, and an, although that's definitely starting to change in the last five to 10 years, we have always, again, relied on the IOC, where the majority of world production um, and research takes place, to be the benchmark for the standards. 
And when you test an oil, what do you do? You buy it off the shelf and you send the bottle over there or you... We buy it off the shelf. Um, the, the samples are sent as blind samples. So the lab doesn't know what, what they're testing, um, what brand they're testing. And uh, it's, so it's all coded and the results come back and we match up the codes with the brands and, and share the results uh, with the brand owners. And I've heard you say that 98% of the oil that you test is authentic. So the SEAL program is for our members, but the general testing that we do and also the the work that the IOC helps us with through the quality control agreement, that covers both member and non-member brands. We did an analysis recently in the last three years. Uh, each year, the brands that we were able to pick up off the shelf represented over 50% of the retail market share each given year. And what we found is that when we do find problems, it is in a very small percentage of the total samples. And the brand names that we found problems with don't have any recognizable market share. They're, they're usually little unknown name brands. So that's why we're always very busy going to many places and looking for for many different labels. 98%. Of the market share, yeah. So so the brands that have a problem represent less than 2% of the retail market share. So it's not 2% of the samples, but 2% of the market share. Right. In the, in the last three years, we had about 5% of all the samples had either a quality or a purity issue. Um, but of those 5% of the samples, the brands only represented less than 1% of the market share. And when you say 98% is authentic, Authentic. Yeah. What does that mean? Authentic meaning it passes all the purity tests uh, for that grade. So is made just from olives and nothing else. It's the grade that it's that it's labeled. Yes. But two uh, percent of one hundred and eighty thousand tons is still oh I don't know a lot. That's a lot of bad olive oil, isn't it? Relatively speaking, I, I mean, it, I guess it depends how you look at it uh, compared to what it probably was 20 years ago when people weren't very aware of their food. Um, 20 years ago, most consumers were consuming olive oil and not extra virgin olive oil. So there was very little way to distinguish by flavor, for example, whereas today... It's actually completely switched, and 65 to 75 or 65 to 70 percent of the sales today are extra virgin olive oil as opposed to olive oil. How do you think we get to 100 percent? I don't know that we have to get to 100 percent. I didn't mean how do we get to 100 percent extra virgin. I mean how do we get to 100 percent of the oil is what it says it is. Ah, I think that will will take a combined effort from from the industry to work together. Um, we have more and more companies that are learning about testing and what it means. Also, how to distinguish quality versus purity. Um, there are some things that change over time. So there's an, an educational component that's necessary with retailers and stockers to make sure they're handling the products properly. And really just the market all watching out for each other. Yeah. You've spent some time developing the sensory skills for olive oil evaluation on your own. Yes. Do you go around and taste some of the oils in the supermarkets that you come across? Um, on occasion, I do. I mean, I at, at my house, I, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. I would say I'm one of the spoiled ones at this point because I was a very typical American consumer 10 years ago who probably didn't really know the difference uh, between any extra virgin olive oil and any other one and didn't know uh, much about what was the difference between extra virgin and olive oil. I've been very very lucky to be able to meet and, and work with and attend a lot of training classes and appreciate all the different styles uh, that come from all over the world. And, you know, in my house, I cook with, uh, I guess what you would call a supermarket extra virgin olive oil. 
everything. And then I always have at least two other bottles of extra virgin olive oil, a delicate and a more robust. And I always have also a bottle of olive oil for baking and things when I don't want flavor in there. So if every American could even, you know, have half as many bottles as I do in their kitchen at any given time, we, we would make a big dent in uh, in the opportunity that we have to increase consumption. I'm with you. But when you buy that big bottle at the at the supermarket, are you often disappointed in what you smell or taste being a, an expert yourself? Um, no, I mean, you know, I, I've learned to read labels. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've learned that I know what I like for my style of cooking. And so, you know, it, it makes it much easier to, to choose the right oil for the job. And I, I think what's important is that consumers have that choice to be able to purchase oils that fit their price point and, and the job that they're going to do. And what do you look for on the label? It, it depends. I don't promote any specific brands over the others. But when I'm looking for a delicate or robust, like I said, I've learned to I've learned certain varieties that are typically more delicate or certain regions of the world that produce a, a more delicate oil. So I would I would look for those kind of things. For my everyday cooking oil, uh, I, I tend to just get what what is reasonably priced that that I've used in the past and had good experience with. Well, we're going to take a short break. On Olive Oil is produced by Olive Oil Times, the world's leading olive oil publication, and the International Culinary Center Olive Oil Program. Learn olive oil sensory assessment in New York. The Olive Oil Sommelier Certification Program offers comprehensive instruction in olive oil sensory assessment and olive oil events throughout the year. Sign up at culinarycenter.com. Have you ever seen a commercial on TV for an olive oil brand? I haven't. I've seen them for canola oil, not for olive oil. Isn't that surprising? This is a $15 billion category, and there there is virtually no marketing on a large scale. Yeah. I think there there have been a few, probably very targeted, only on Food Network um, and those kind of things. One of the opportunities that is, is out there that the NAOA has, has really been trying to generate some support for is there's a program through USDA called a Research and Promotion Order program that would basically put a small mm-hmm. assessment on all imports and all domestic production and pool that money. Uh, it would generate millions millions of dollars, which is far more than any of the uh, associations or groups have on their own, to do research and do promotions of the whole category. Um, and that's that's something that we've we've started talking uh, with California producers and others to try to uh, get some support for because we think there could be a huge growth there um, and an opportunity that would benefit all the suppliers in the category as well as consumers. Hmm, that sounds promising. We hope so. And the thing is, we wouldn't care if we were talking about something else, but olive oil has benefits that can improve our health and even help us live longer. And that's why it hurts to see people turn away from it out of suspicion or confusion. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the consumer's growing suspicion about olive oil, it's a travesty. <laughs> and I hate that word, but it's it's so fitting in this situation. The olive oil category in the U.S. and Canada was on a very strong, steady upward path for decades. And even then still left everybody in the industry a huge amount of room for future growth and expanding consumption and expanding sales. And the health benefits are not only proven time and time again, but we also continue to reveal even more new health benefits as research continues to evolve. But unfortunately, somehow we've gotten to a point where people hear olive oil and often their first association might be fake or fraud. So 
you know, we're still battling the the age old common usage myths about things like smoke point and color and those kind of basic things. But now we have to overcome new hurdles related to authenticity and standards. And even the health benefits themselves are being questioned now. And, you know, this this won't turn around until the industry works together to promote the basic facts uh, and the benefits that that we can attribute to all olive oils in the category and be able to uh, sell our own unique products based on their benefits and not by putting others down. Yeah, you know, in Australia, the market share of imported oils went from nearly 100% down to 70% as people there began favoring the, the mm-hmm. domestic oils, which on its own is not necessarily a bad thing. But the way it happened was through, as I see it, sensational news stories and fear mongering. There seems to be yeah. uh, a lot of that going on here too. And I sense we're going to see a lot more because fear and loathing seems to be the narrative style that people respond to these days. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, and I think, you know, the real question in, in places like Australia is, you know, while, while we can look at the share of imports versus domestic, the real question is, what about total consumption overall and per capita consumption and category growth? Um, because, you know, for sure in countries like the U.S., where our per capita consumption is about one liter per person a year, you know, compared to countries like Italy and Spain and Greece, you know, it's 11, 12, 15 liters uh, per capita consumption. There's room for everyone to grow their business and room for consumers to experience health benefits. The consumption is going down in those places. And, and that's exactly, and that's the problem. It's, it's a short term to promote trading share between imports versus domestic. It shouldn't be an us versus them. It's a category. It should be a category-wide initiative to, to grow consumption because it, it benefits not just the people in the category, um, but consumers. Because as we've said, there's you know more studies on the benefits of olive oil, all kinds of olive oil. Um, there's new studies looking at, you know, polyphenols and all of these things. But, you know, the historical studies that uh, support the FDA health claim, for example, the American Heart Association heart check mark claim, those are all based on the monounsaturated fat, which is the same in all olive oils. And there are benefits, proven, scientifically proven benefits to consuming olive oil versus either saturated fats or another cooking and seed oil. And, and we're missing the boat. And so last week you did something about that in the form of a lawsuit against Dr. Oz. <laughs> he had someone on the show that was employed by the largest domestic producer, and they pretty much told viewers that the way to be sure you get what you pay for was to buy California olive oils. But can't Dr. Oz say anything he wants on his show? This is the age of Infowars, <laughs> right? I mean, fake news is all the rage. Rachel Ray said, if you can see through the olive oil bottle, use it for cooking. If you can't see through it, use it for dressing. Utter nonsense. Isn't it surprising how little these people prepare before going on air to talk about something that can have pretty profound implications for people's diets yeah. and their health. Yeah, it, I mean, it really is. And it's, it's uh, again, it goes back to if we had the industry working together to promote the basic facts correctly, I think it would go a lot farther than, you know, right now where we have associations like ours. And, and I know we're not the only ones. Um, but when we see this misinformation, you know, we're constantly writing letters and sending links and sending information and, you know, trying to follow up and correct things after the fact. And, um, you know, I, I can't speak 
to the specifics of, of the Dr. Oz case, but you know, I, I can say that the reason the NAOA brought the lawsuit is to correct false information that was broadcast on that show. And ultimately, it's about making sure that consumers know the facts so they can make decisions that are best for their health and their taste. And I'm sure discussions flew around your office about whether to do something about that 60 Minutes episode that aired a little while ago. We, uh, we contacted 60 Minutes, as we have with many, many other uh, groups. And, you know, they, they published a, a little bit of a very tiny sentence of an explanation on their website. Um, but it is certainly a big hurdle uh, of trying to constantly correct all the misinformation that comes from many different places. A few months ago, I needed some samples of defective olive oils to use in the olive oil sommelier mm. program that I direct at the International Color. Center. So I went down to my local supermarket and bought six big jugs that were labeled extra virgin. I didn't even look at the brands. And every one of them was awful. One was the perfect rancid. Another one was the ideal specimen of muddy. Another was more reminiscent of vinegar than vinegar. Uh, it, it was a small sampling, a very <laughs> unscientific, I know. They weren't extra virgin. Were they virgin? I doubt it, but perhaps. I think you can probably agree that a lot of the oils that say extra virgin are really virgin, yet we rarely see virgin oils on the shelf. Don't you think we ought to make use of the virgin grade, sell them for a little less? It would expand the options for consumers, and a little truthfulness could go a long way in winning back some of that trust and uh, that the category yearns for. Well, I wouldn't say that I exactly agree with everything you just said. I, I would be very surprised to be able to go to a store and randomly pick up bottles and get perfect examples of, of so many different defects. And I think, you know, one of the challenges with sensory analysis in particular is that, you know, no matter how much we try to make it be an exact science. It's not an exact science. And even, you know, trained, recognized panels often will come up with different assessments on the, on the same oil. I think from the consumer point of view, it would be much more beneficial if we were using sensory analysis the way other categories use it for describing styles or flavor profiles something that is useful for the consumer to have and, and use with different types of cooking, for example. So you know when you need a, you know, a delicate, buttery, uh, fruity oil, or you know when you need a, a strong, peppery, robust oil, um, or, or for the regions, for example, which some have, uh, PDOs do a little bit of that. Um, but the challenge really is in, in the way that our industry uses uh, sensory analysis for, for grading when it's such an inexact science, and especially to have individuals claim that they can grade a product. The only way to properly determine if an oil is extra virgin or virgin is to have a recognized panel do an assessment and then have a second panel confirm that. Individuals, you know, and this is a lot of where the problem stems from is as much training as we can do uh, for ourselves, everyone's palate is different. Uh, that That is a fact. And panels work very hard to remove any bias that they might have, but we still see, you know, some differences, especially in different countries and, and even different regions within the same country when panels analyze oils. So for sure, if panels are not even 100% consistent, it's not right for any individual to be grading oils. 
And, and that's been happening a lot in the last five years. Right. But wouldn't you agree that much of the oil that's sold in this country and is labeled extra virgin actually belongs in the virgin category? No, I wouldn't agree. Not based on the testing that we've done. Why do we not even see the virgin grade on the shelf? That I don't know. So we have a new protectionist president-elect, <laughs> and you know your members are concerned about free trade, yeah, um, tariffs, mm-hmm. quotas. Mm-hmm. It's all about importing. Yeah. So I mean, is there a lot of concern among your members about about this kind of of leadership? Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think in general, any threat to free trade, especially in this category, is always uh, something that we have to take notice and, and stay on top of because, you know, more than 95% of all U.S. olive oil is, is supplied by importers. Um, so we're always interested in protecting consumers' access to olive oil. You know, given the proven health advantages of using olive oil, you know, they're recognized by the American Heart Association and the Food and Drug Administration um, and the huge opportunity that's still out there to increase consumption and improve Americans' health. It just it simply wouldn't make sense to erect trade barriers. So we you know, we will fight to to keep them from being put up. And, you know, also we have to remember that the cost of olive oil is already higher than, you know, for example, canola or, or vegetable soybean oils. Um, Mm -hmm. And any regulations that that inflate the price further would surely hurt consumers and market growth. So that is that is something we keep a very close eye on. So tell me about your conference in Chicago. A couple of years ago, we launched an olive oil conference. And, the, you know, the primary mission at that olive oil conference, we always say, you know, you if, if you tell people something, they might hear it. And if you teach them, they might remember it for a little while. But when people actually do, they learn. And we've combined actual hands-on usage in with other you know, industry-related topics for a couple of days. So, for example, all of the meals at the Olive Oil Conference are served with two portions. So one is made with, uh, and they're made with two different olive oils. So you can tell, you can see what, what you like better. And, you know, some people like a delicate one better than a robust or vice versa. And sometimes you can't tell the difference um, in certain types of cooking. So it's a lot of, uh, you know, talking about the industry, learning the facts about health benefits, a lot of tasting, a lot of, lot of tasting. We also have a, an American, a North American Tasters Challenge um, that we've, we're, we've created where teams can get together and uh, compete um, to see who has the, the best uh, sensory abilities. And we combine that with uh, cooking and food and really just an overall appreciation of actually using the products. And when is that? Our third year is coming up next July, July 19th and 20th, 2017. Um, and it will be at the Weston O'Hare uh, near Chicago. Aaron Balch is the executive vice president of the North American Olive Oil Association. Thank you for joining us today, Aaron. Thank you for having me, Curtis. On Olive Oil is produced by Olive Oil Times, the world's leading olive oil publication, and the International Culinary Center Olive Oil Program. Sign up at oliveoilschool.org.